everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. Don't look for the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. My name is Matt, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and uh, what are you drinking? What is up, dude? What is up? Um, I'm good, and I know that I, ha- I don't have the coronavirus because okay. I was not tested, which means that I do not have it. Of course. Um, That's how America works. Exactly. We have the lowest rates because mm-hmm. we all just feel so great. Both in coronavirus and interest. That is right. Um, and again, I'm, I'm going to try this again. And I'm pretty sure that this is a beer that you brought here to my office. Okay. Re- relax. It's just a hazy IPA. Did not bring it. That is, you totally did because I would have never bought this. And, it's very good. And neither but... would I. <laughs> all right. Well, strangers are breaking into my office and leaving free beer in the Hey, fridge. I'll take it. <laughs> it's a it's a Hoboken thing. Yeah, yeah. How about you, dude? All right. So uh, we are recording this on March seventeenth of twenty twenty, and today mm-hmm. is St. Patty's Day. Ah. Uh, so in uh, for that, I went through my fancy collection of beers and I decided to pour a stout. And this is an imperial stout called Breakfast for Three. And it's brewed with maple syrup and local roasted Peruvian coffee. And it is a uh, collaboration between Microphone Brewing, Weldworks Brewing, and Great Notion Brewing. Microphone out of Chicago, I believe. Weldworks here out of Greeley, Colorado. And Great Notion out of Portland. Hmm. Uh, And I don't think it has... Oh, 10.5% ABV. So it is delicious, but I'm going to get a little toasty on this episode. So not too much. Yeah. I'm gonna take small sips because we have more to do, but that's it. And our catchphrase today, which I love, don't look for the needle in the haystack, just buy the whole haystack or just buy the haystack comes from John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard. Good Damn old right. John Bogle. <laughs> I was like, whoa, he wrote in? <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be near impossible and scary as hell. Uh, but no. Uh, so today we're talking about a bunch of things It's five questions and we're going to be talking about saving when your spouse is a spender buying a rental foreclosure coding boot camps which i think mm. you mentioned in another episode i think that's yeah. why yeah uh the upcoming fundrise ipo and timing the market which i feel like is always a theme <laughs> of one of the questions in this episode but let's start with and it was so valuable because this was all set up well before there was even interest in timing the market exactly so Let's talk about saving when your spouse is a spender. An anonymous listener asks, we are in a very tiny apartment in the Salt Lake City area. Houses are relatively expensive here, so it'll be quite a few years before we can save up enough for a down payment. We just paid off one car and we'll pay off the other in a year. My wife wants us to use some of the money to upgrade apartments. I'd like to put that money in Betterment monthly until we can afford to buy a house but it'll take many years. What's a good compromise? Now, they included their current funds, and I don't know if it's worth reading, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. So they have 10K saved, contributing about $100 a month. They have uh, a $525 car payment, which they paid off. Mm. They still have a $350 car payment, which will be paid off in about a year. And they currently pay $850 in rent per month, I'm assuming. Mm. So... What are you what are you thinking here if or like how do you want to answer this? Well, with not knowing anything about Salt Lake City, you know, I yeah, just I'm surprising of... surprising that they say the houses are expensive there, but I'm sure it's relative to we're talking about Utah and I know Salt Lake City is really 
popular. It's like it's well, the big city in Utah. Rent being eight fifty. Yeah. You know, and and if you just use the one percent rule, and I'm mm. sure because it's a city, it does it doesn't quite comply to that, so it'd be worse. I would say that they they'd be able to buy a house from like eighty five thousand to like one hundred sixty thousand. That would be equivalent to okay. what they're renting. Okay. So, the, I guess the difference here is like obviously they're doing they're they're being responsible with money, right? Mm. They're paying off their cars. Uh, they're contrib they're saving money. Um, they're only contributing a hundred dollars a month. So yes, at that rate to save up for a down payment of a house, it's going to be quite a long time unless the house is, is only a hundred thousand dollars, in which case, you know, yeah, it's still going to be a long time before you can get up to 20,000. So check this out. Just mm -hmm. some quick math on this scenario. So, yeah. cause they're saving a hundred a month, five twenty-five they could save a month cause the car was just paid off plus the three fifty for the one they're just paying off. It amounts mm -hmm. to about a thousand dollars in savings a month. Yep. Um, so in if one year. The so. Wait, what? So in about a year, they'll have twelve thousand yep. dollars. Um, but if you look at say the top end of that range, I was talking about one hundred sixty thousand for a house. Um, if they wanted to put twenty percent down, that'd be thirty-two thousand. Mm -hmm. Wait, let me just double check that times point two. Yep, thirty-two thousand, uh, which they'd be able to get in two point six 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 years. So if he followed his plan mm -hmm. based on his savings, he would literally be able to buy probably a much better place than he is renting. In less than three years. Okay. But then the wife wants to upgrade apartments. Mm. So they want to pay more than $850 a month in rent, I'm assuming, when you say upgrade. How do you compromise that? What would you do in your situation? Let's 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 pretend it's uh your it's Laura in this in this case. <laughs> it, it's the eternal battle between the now and the future. Mm. Right? Because you could have that fancy kitchen now. Yep. You know, or um I think. Uh, that, that's that's a, that's a hard one. Yeah, it is a hard one because you you and I value those things, right? Mm. I would try and sell the long term mindset. I, that's usually where I go. It's like, do you want this thing for these few months? Um, at the compromise of our ability to, I don't know, ever take a vacation because our rent mm -hmm. is dramatically higher, mm -hmm. you know, or uh, we pause. The consumption for three years yeah is there yeah is there a compromise of these can you get can you have your cake and eat it too in this situation the compromise would be you wait five years mm -hmm. and you stay in the apartment you're in but uh you green light some additional fluff spending for yeah. i don't know a nicer couch and you know things inside the house right um right i mean i think there is a compromise to be made what would there. you do well, okay, so I, I, huh. yeah, this is difficult because I do value, like, an upgraded apartment sounds real nice. Yeah, right? I mean, it's always yeah. nice. The, the first three months, they're great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, that's a good point. After um, that, you don't, you don't feel the difference you don't, Yeah, you're used to it at that point. I, but I am very much uh, a person who wants to buy a house, as everyone probably knows if you listen to the show, so... Uh, right now I don't, so here's the, the, the dilemma is I don't feel that crunch in this moment in my personal life where I don't feel like we can actually, one of the biggest problems is that where we rent, it ha we now have to compare it to buying homes. And it's like, every time we come back from looking at houses, we're like, this place is dope. We love living here. Mm. So, um, 
that you know so there's that there's that part of it too where if you live in something that's already awesome it's going to be really hard to find a home that is maybe perhaps more expensive but is equal to your current lifestyle so you're going to have a hard time but if you're sitting at something that you dislike right now it's even more incentive to mm. save up faster to get into the house that you want and so i think that is what i would do i think i would sacrifice my my current life and live in the apartment and not have an upgrade and figure out a way to kind of like enjoy my time there and just use that as an incentive to save more aggressively so that i can get that house in less than 2.66666 years and, and i have an idea of maybe a compromise okay so you're in salt lake city you know, and, and there's probably two things that matter for your apartment. One, maybe you have awesome proximity to all the things you want to do. Um, two, maybe you have just a great space, a new f kitchen, both of these things, a combination of. And so what you can do um, is choose one of the two that matter and decide the other one doesn't and pair back on one. So get a new apartment mm -hmm. that is bigger and better for roughly the same rent, but further outside the city. Mm. Right. Or you stay with your proximity um, and you downsize, you downsize size. Yeah. Right? right. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely there's definitely ways to compromise here. But I think, you know, sitting down, it's really about communication. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. about the choice that you make. You both have to be on the same page and having an open and honest conversation in a very relaxed environment, I think, is important uh, because. Again, like this is what Steph and I do all the time is we constantly communicate to each other, like sit down, coffee in our living room and just talk for hours and hours and hours about how we're feeling and how we're mm. dealing and where our money is and, and all this stuff. And especially with buying a home and buying a home has been one of the most stressful things we've ever gone through as a couple. And so uh, because it is such a big purchase because you find out all the things you can't have constantly constantly and they you are, only show you things you can't afford yep, they're not going to show you smaller places and you know it kind of feels like the city's beating you up a little bit because it's like oh you want this nah <laughs> you know what i mean this is it's constantly the city saying no to you yeah. um but i would just say that it's really just about being communicative with your partner and and it's it's not even like the three years or the whatever i think yeah. if you could just agree hey let's always put away 20 percent of what we make a month. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's not going to be the $1000 a month, it'll be less, but it won't be as small as it might be if you upgraded the apartment and so you kind of you straddle a little bit. It's, yeah. It's... Yeah, exactly. So, I hope that answers your question anonymous. Uh so <laughs> uh it, you know, if you if you obviously have more questions or whatever, obviously email us, but I think that that is so just some general thoughts about the whole situation. I think mm -hmm. to be to be fair, you're both doing great financially, yeah, like seriously. you're doing the right stuff. So there's nothing to, there's nothing to uh, to do there. And, and also, I want to I also want to point out, too, if you are looking to buy a house in the next two or three years, I don't know if putting that in betterment as a taxable or a broker, bro, uh, a brokerage account is the best move for you. I'm glad you call that out because yeah. it's very short term. Yes. So I would put years. that into a high yield savings account. Uh, things are volatile at the moment of recording this. But, you know, things will even out. Regardless, time. we will, we have said the same thing. Right. Cash is cash. Right. Mm. OK, so moving on to question number two, uh, listener Petty asks, is it good to buy investment property that's in foreclosure? And how do I go about that? Mm. So that's that's a two parter. That's a two. 
Yeah. Is it good to buy one? Well, so I mean, one, yeah. I have never bought a foreclosed property, mm-hmm. but I've certainly read about a ton of them when 2008 happened. And I would say that if you're buying a foreclosed property, expect something that is stripped of all like easily obtained value. Yeah. People went so far as pulling copper out of wires. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe appliances are gone. Maybe the property's damaged in major ways. Um, and so, yeah. And so, uh, investing in a foreclosure property, uh, you kind of have to know what you're getting into there. Yeah. You're gonna, you're not going to be able to be like, well, uh, let's let's negotiate on the price a little bit because there's a massive hole in the mm-hmm. wall. Like it's it's as is. Yeah, I think uh, when you when you think about it, it does look like a great investment because it's it's usually pretty cheap. Mm. But the, but what you're but what you're getting for that cheapness for that, good reason, right? You're you're it's it's as is. You better have you as an investor. There's no recourse, right? Yeah, you as a rental investor better know your stuff or better have the right people at your disposal to go into these foreclosures and know that if you do invest in this, that you aren't that you're not getting a lemon. You know what I mean? And chances are you're probably getting a lemon depends on how sour that lemon is. And I guess also it depends on why it was foreclosed on in the first place. If mm-hmm. we're talking about 2008 McMansions that were foreclosed on because of the crisis, yeah, you might not have that much of a problem. But if it's mm-hmm. foreclosed because the you know, the people who live there, the tenants that live there or the homeowners that live there just really neglected it and really just, you know, rode that train to the last stop. Yeah. Then you're obviously dealing with a different sort of investment there. So mm. uh, I think it is it is for I mean, just by, you know, I obviously I've never invested in a foreclosure n- neither, nor have I even looked at rental properties in this way. But mm. to me, just knowing about this, it no, it, it feels like this is a an area of kind of a specific expertise, in, in the same way that um, day trading is, where you kind of mm. just, it's like a, it's a different skill set. It feels that way. And then I guess the question is, is how do you go about doing that? So there are a few ways. Um, one, there are auctions, uh, typically run by the county that okay. you can find and you have to pre-register for, and then you can show up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can literally just go there and bid on your own. I mean, there's, there are a set of rules they need to be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, probably far more ideal to go with a realtor that has foreclosure experience. Yep, You could find them on like realtor.com, whatever. People, people list that as a thing that they have mm-hmm. experience in. Um, so, so you could do it that way, or you could even use the realtor with experience to kind of yeah be your in and not necessarily forcing you to attend. However, um, these deals uh, close that day, uh, and you're, so it's not like a typical. All right, I like this house. I want to live in this house. Let me go talk to Wells Fargo. Yeah. Maybe I'll you know talk to Bank of America. No, you need like essentially cash that day or yep. financing that day. Mm-hmm. So you would need to you know, get some, that conquered in advance. Right. You need to move quick. And you also yeah. gotta, you also have to bake in for, you know, it's not just like, Oh, I'm buying a foreclosure. You know, I have just enough cash to do it. Think about like, if you go into one, how much repairs are going to need to be done, how much could, you know, damage there could be. And so you're going to need probably some extra cash. If you're, if you're going to do that, if you're going to do that. 
Mm. It does sound like, though, if all of that is done correctly and if you are if you are diligent and this is something that you're really interested in doing and not just as a passive, you know, this is definitely not a passive way to invest in rental properties. You know, this is something that's uh, something more aggressive. Mm. Uh, and obviously, huge deals can be made. I mean, gr- great deals oh, can be made. Oh, for sure. You know, it's obviously an opportunity. But then then again, so is day trading, right? It's like, oh, but. Th- th- and is but, that what I'm going to be good at? Right. And and are you OK with losing right you now like i'll tell you that i don't have the eye to look at a home or a property or plumbing or electrical work or anything and tell you if it is correct bad right. or like beyond saving yeah and i think that you may need to have some of those skills even at such a level that you could look at pictures yeah and tell and i think speed matters in that and so if yes. you are the person who can look at that and go like yes no well that's that it's that's advantage. That's an advantage to you because of speed of the purchases. Because there's going to be other hawks in there, you know, looking to snatch that up. Experienced developers yeah. and stuff. It's who, not just you and a bunch of grandmas. It's no, you right. and a bunch of businessmen. And, and like, who knows? They could be very aggressive grand grandparents who are just really not the best. <laughs> Some of the best fixers and flippers are grandparents. There you go. So hope that was helpful to you. Uh, and I appreciate the question. So we're going to move on to question number three. And this is something I feel like is. Very much up your alley, Andrew, but, mm. you know, this is from Monastrat7, which, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, Monastrat7, I believe, is a yeast infection in medica- medication. Yeah. Uh, so, great name? I don't know. Uh, I wanted to learn more about these boot camps you keep talking about, and I'm assuming you, Andrew. Mm. I'm in my mid-30s, making about $100,000 a year, and can't justify quitting for four years just to get a computer science degree Mm. so what do you know about boot camps okay Okay. so i'll tell you about my anecdotal experience i mean anecdotal like in real life people that i've met okay and then um we have a bunch of research that we did and they're going to kind of unload that so one um a fan of the show uh i wound up meeting in person and grabbing a beer with um and i'll kind of spare the whole long story but he was at one point uh, a truck driver making essentially thirty-ish thousand dollars a year, and but three or so years later, having essentially did a boot camp and then got a job and blah blah blah, and then you know, raise, moved to another job, was making about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, Big up as DevOps, mm-hmm. massive upgrade. Um, and another uh, guy that I met, brilliant guy. Uh, and he went to school for something completely different. It was like neural networks, whatever, and uh-huh. wound up not getting a job remotely related Close to, to that. that. Yeah. And, you know, and what was like, uh, hey, maybe I could do like data science because I could parlay some of this experience, mm-hmm. did a boot camp and got a job for about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year also. Wow. And that is actually on the low end for his piece. He would have been making more, but he didn't have like on the job experience. Right. But the thing that kind of anchors at all and that i've experienced being in the tech space is that it is insanely hard to just get warm bodies in the door to interview and then a lot of them are just super duds where it's not even that they can't because it's hard to really tell if they could do the work but if they can't even communicate or they're just a dead person Yeah. yeah you know i mean so if you have a dynamic personality and you can learn, I think there's massive opportunity here. 
Yeah. And I, I did the like computer science-y thing in school, mm-hmm. and school, you sit yeah. in a classroom, and they tell you about objects, and they explain all these things, mm-hmm. but the way you really learn is by doing. Yeah, throwing right? yourself like, into it. Yeah, because even if you bought all of those books on PHP, you know, yeah. and, and read them, doesn't mean that you could actually do the thing. And I think that's why boot camps are really appealing to people hiring because you didn't just learn some highfalutin whatever. You, you actually know how to do the stuff. And there is essentially an agency that is putting their name on the line for you. Yes. And and you're doing it in record time. So you can get a job relatively quick. You're not going to. Four yeah, they years tend to be about three to four months. Um, mm-hmm. And so let me, I want to quickly explain how it works. OK. And then we have a bunch of information on like, honestly. I didn't realize they were this awesome, but how awesome they are. Okay. Um, and so what happens is you find one of these places and there's one called Flatiron School or Codesmith, um, another one called Thinkful. There, there's honestly a bunch of them. Hack Reactor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a few more that, that we found. And uh, basically, you will either pay up to $15,000 yeah. to join this boot camp or you will pay nothing up front. And what they will do is they will do an income share agreement with you where um, as long as you're making $50,000 or more, they'll take 10% of your salary um, until they make a certain amount back. Uh, Um, So basically, it's a no risk type thing. Got it. Honestly, even more on them to make you into like a rock star. Because if you go, if you graduate and you only make 50K a year, they're not making nearly as much, nearly Mm -hmm. as quickly as if you make, say, 100. Yes. now, uh, some kind of just stats to throw out there. This place called uh, Course Reports mm-hmm. uh, say that 79% of bootcamp grads are employed within six months, earning an average salary of $60,000. Mm-hmm. Um, Flatiron School, tuition is about $11,000, dollars They claim 93% employment rate. It includes freelance and part-time. Um, 42% employed in 30 days, 62% employed in 60, 80% employed in 120, um, and 94% employed within the first year. Yeah. Uh, average salary is $70,000 plus. Um, thinkful. There's a one-on-one mentor. They have a career coach. It's uh, 14K. Uh, I'm sorry. It's 18K to enter. Um, and, or you could pay it back as long as you're earning at least 40K. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just looking. We have these graphs. The amount of the salaries some of these people are making. Codesmith, the median starting salary for grads in LA is a hundred and seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. Yeah, from a boot camp. I mean, it's That's, no secret that like this is where the where everything's moving. Like technology, like people. And you said it's hard to get warm bodies in the door. We had a hard time hiring a new developer. You know, we, we, you and I have a hard time hiring developers. Yeah. We're, we were literally this morning talking about developer. Plans. Yeah. They're in, they're in high demand. Like they were, you know, remember nurses and teachers many years ago, that was the high demand job then. But the difference is, is you can't go to a four week boot camp to become a teacher. It is like mm. mi- four to five years minimum. Same yeah. with being a nurse. Like that just, it's just time and it's very expensive to, to get into that position. And you, and you end up making, a lot less in the end, right? Mm. Uh, compared to, I know, compared to some of the tech jobs that I know get paid very well. I mean, a lot of mm. developers get paid very well. And you don't even have to get an actual job as a developer. You could be a freelance developer, mm. you know? So you yeah. can work from home. 
and do that job too. So I think it's, if you're interested in code, if you're interested in technology and computers and you, and you are kind of like, you know, I just wish I, I learned. And even if you are a computer, you have a computer job right now, learning code is an asset and perhaps even in your own job could level you up where you are right now. What I might even do is because a lot of these uh, boot camps, you know, it's it's completely immersive. So mm-hmm. they're going to require you to do it essentially full time with homework for these three to four months. You can't like have a job and like do two hours. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, and so even that is a commitment. So what I would do is I would go into a site like Code School or any or Udemy or any of the ones you could learn coding online. Yeah, and try a single module for like some nominal thirty dollar whatever fee, and just see if you're like allergic to it. If it's just the worst, yeah. you couldn't imagine you'd kill yourself if you had to do it. Yeah. You might like it because they're kind of like, you know, um brain it's puzzles. Teasers. It's like yeah. little puzzles. Yeah. And that's why I like it. I mean, I'm not a I'm, You always I, feel like you're solving, you know. Yeah, you're solving a pro you're constantly solving puzzles. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's not for everybody, but it is very fun. So do like a mini trial like that. And if you think you could do it, save it up. I would pull the trigger. I think it's a brilliant idea. Cool. We have two more questions to get to. And let's take a break before we do. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Fundrise IPO and, of, and of course, timing the market. So we'll oh, be right yeah. back. All right. Moving on to question number four from an unknown listener. Not an anonymous one. No, this an one unknown. Is an Comple- unknown. Completely yeah. unknown. What is your opinion <laughs> on investing in the Fundrise IPO? I'm looking directly in your pupils there, mm. Mr. Feebert. So, um... I love Fundrise. I know uh, you do. D- have you invested in Fundrise, Matt? I have not. Okay, so I will obviously because you will beat it into me. <laughs> well, okay. the re- The reason I ask, or, or I, let me ask you another question: Do you subscribe to their email stuff? No, you just send them to me via text messages. <laughs> yes, actually, that's true. Did I send you the latest one? <laughs> yes. After the whole, they yeah. they um write these incredible th- their methodology of how they invest and how they think about how they invest. And just kind of approach everything they do, I deeply, deeply resonate with. And I think mm-hmm. more so than just investing in REITs or, you know, whatever, um, I feel uh, they're making a lot of very smart decisions. I love what they do. And I have, I've mm-hmm. quite a bit invested with them. That said, I would sooner be caught dead than investing in not the just the Fundrise IPO, any IPO. And... There is two reasons why. The first reason, um, the purpose of an IPO is for early investors to exit and make money. And in back in the day, like when Google and all these, you know, Apple were launched, uh, companies stayed private much short in a much shorter amount of time because there wasn't so much private money available. So Mm -hmm. to get money to grow, they needed to go public. Right. Now there's so much money private that these a lot of companies stay private for like 10 plus years. They literally only go public because their investors push them yeah. to get a cash out opportunity. Right, right. Because these, these, are, these are like what your angel investors and your investment firms. and uh, Right. They don't get yeah. a return unless they go public. And yeah. so because most they, of these companies, yeah, they're not profitable. Right. Right. You know, or even if they are, you know, um, all of the growth happened before the IPO, that was the 10x, 100x moment. Yeah. Happened before you even got access to it. 
And so the first reason is you're missing out on the real opportunity because mm -hmm. it's not in the public market. Yep. And the second part is because of the incentives where the employees are getting stock and all the investors, first the investors get to dump their stock first and cash out. Then there's a locked up period and then employees get to dump their stock. And so there's no, uh, it's, it's not by coincidence that companies IPO and then their stock continues to go below the IPO price for quite a while after they launch. Right. It's not because the companies just happen to all do bad afterwards. It's because everyone sells. It's yes. a cash out moment. Cash out moment. And yeah. so they cash out and it hits the bottom and you kind of wait for it to settle. And then maybe a buying opportunity or mm -hmm. even waiting a little bit longer until they have at least a year public under their belt to buy at the IPO is to give the early investor their cash out. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. Now, what about this one? Because it's not a... They they calling it an IPO, but it's not for every public. It's not for everybody. Mm. It's like a initial private offer. So they're doing it for their customers, mm -hmm. and and I think it's cool. Like the customers get like first dibs. Um, I I don't think that there is much to gain, and and the upside would be so limited versus the risk that you would take. I will invest my money with Fundrise. I love their investing methodology, mm -hmm. but that doesn't speak to the profitability of the company mm -hmm. or what they do with those profits or yes. whatever. You know, it's, it's a, a whole, yeah, it's a good point. A whole different game. Yep. Why are IPOs so sexy? Because I, I guess people think that they're going to like blow up. It's like, Oh my God, everybody use, everybody uses Facebook. Yeah. So right. I'm going to be the early investor. I'm going to get in before everyone else. And I guess what they don't realize is there was actually 10 years before where the actual, the big real smart money got in. Yeah. And when you think you're getting in early, you're not, you're getting Very, a hot potato. Okay. I mean that, that pretty much sums up the answer to that question. Whew. Succinctly. I mean, yeah, uh, that's your opinion. Right? Not that I feel strongly about it or anything. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that doesn't come through at all. Uh, okay. Well, thank you, unknown listener, for that question. I think it was an important one to uh, talk about, especially since you talk about Fundrise all the time. And obviously, IPOs are sexy. And mm. this is a kind of, this is sort of like a congruent or a, a con uh, like a connection of two different things that we talk about in the show. I thought you were going to say coronavirus. Uh, you know, I don't know what words to use anymore, to be honest with you. <laughs> so let's move on to question number five, which, of course, is about timing the market. And this is from Kristen, who asked, with the looming recession, or the current one, <laughs> depending on when you're listening to this, <laughs> I would like to know how one would go about moving into a cash position in my 401k slash Vanguard ETF mutual fund accounts and the implications of such. Not that I plan to move my money at this time, but I want to be an but I want to be educated for when the time will arise. Mm. So from from what I gather uh, from this question, just maybe to kind of clear things up a bit, what she's basically asking is, should I take money out of my 401k and my Vanguard funds and move them into cash? With the recession or coming. like liquidate it within the you know IRA or or mm -hmm. something to that effect. That sounds like a terrible terrible move. And it's interesting. And I was I was telling this before we were recording. So first of all, we're we're the market's down thirty percent as yes. the moment we're recording this. Yep. From the peak, literally last night, Thomas called me 
Thomas Frank, the the mm-hmm. other person who wielded a mic on the show and was mm-hmm. like, Andrew, um, should I sell? When should I sell? What should I do? And um, I think one, you need to just kind of chill out. Yeah. Right. Because um, if you look and we're, we're kind of in the middle of I don't know what, it's really spiky. And so you could have yeah. bought and then it, you could have actually bought at the wrong time or sold the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Attempting. There's a lot of sophisticated people with far more data and resources, mm-hmm. teams of people who are trying to do this. And mm-hmm. so you're going to you'd be competing with them. Yes. So I think that you should not. And any time that you have bought, you should um, have faith in the time that you bought and the valuations things are at and think instead towards your future money, because yep. these investments are not for tomorrow to sell. They're long term. They're in like for 30 years from now. Yes. Yeah, I think um, to kind of, you know, I'm getting these questions too, right? People are like, what do I do? People are flipping out. People are flipping out. Yeah. Look, I mean. I don't blame them. Right. Think about it. I mean, if you were, if you, if you looked at your 401k after this, you know, giant 30% drop, it's going to look like shit. But I keep telling people, okay, fine. If you, if you extrapolate the, even the S&P 500, if you just extrapolate it out, 10 years in, in whatever app you use, even where we're at right now is not as low as where we were in like 2000, I don't know, 10 or 11, mm. right? We're still above that. So oh, for sure, right? A lot, a lot above that. Cause we've had 10 plus years of growth and now we're dropping. Okay. Mm. Yes. Who knows how long all of this is going to last, but here's what we do know is that they always bounce back. Right from from hundreds uh, from a hundred plus years of data that we have, even during the Great Depression, we bounce back. Th- when you invest in a four hundred one k, that is a retirement fund. Mm. That is for that is for when you are sixty seven th- plus years old. Yeah, and if you you're thirty I mean? now, so much will happen between now and then. So, so much, uh, you know. All of these things are if you're investing in the stock market. And you're doing it the way that we have been screaming about on this show for seven years, right? Which is dollar cost averaging. You know, that's we, every month a little bit consistently. Yeah. I've been, you know, when did we, when did we start this podcast in 2013? We're right? like almost seven years of the podcast. At yeah. That point. And I'm like, I've been contributing every single month, buying at all different sort of peaks and valleys. Mm. And I'm still buying at a very, Same. very big valley. So it's like, you know, now this... I'm getting better prices than I was last month. Exactly. And in two years from now, one year from now, maybe things will be on the up and up again. And, and if you I... imagine you draw that average line between all the times you purchased, yeah. the purchase price actually would have been pretty good. Yeah. And it's like, if you, and this is again, um, the, the whole idea of timing the market, if you're, if you're a day trader, yeah, that's what your job is. It literally is you're a, you're a professional gambler. You know, with a with a little with like with understanding how to shuffle a deck. Cool. You have a you have a small skill set, you know what you're doing. Fine, do whatever you want. But most of us are not day traders. Most of us are just people who are, you know, gambling with it, it, you know, with with we're not little gambling. Bit of, we're, we're investing. We're and investing. I think that's the difference. And and right. so I got I got two things. Um, one, you read some article and so you feel some way. So you want to make a decision. Yes. Uh, there's this thing called the efficient market, 
where it's already priced into the market. Everyone has read what you read. Some people probably even read it before it was published. <laughs> yeah. And so decisions were made. And so the appropriate price for the market based on the information out there is exactly what it is today. Yes. So you're not ever going to win over on someone unless you are like Goldman Sachs. And yeah, you, and have you have insider information to, and right. that's illegal. Another thing. Um, rather consistently, about 80% of the gains in any one year happens in roughly 10 days. Mm -hmm. And so if you missed 10 days out of 365 days in a year, you could have lost all the potential gains for that year. And so everyone is panicking and if things are down 30%, what if tomorrow after a bunch of research, the CDC says, actually, China's numbers were bullshit and it's actually not that bad and everything's open again and we're all fine. And yeah. the, the stock market goes up 30%. Mm -hmm. Well, you thought you were slick and you sold and you missed out on this thing you could have never anticipated. Yep. So instead of trying to be Nostradamus, which you're not, do and neither was Nostradamus. <laughs> right. And he, he was not even right. right. Do what you do well. You know, you have a job during the day. There's something you might be an expert at. And when it comes to this, just do your you know investment every month. Yep. Simple, automate it. It's for the future. It's not yeah. for next week. And you haven't lost any money until you sell. So yeah. don't sell. So don't sell. Yeah. And I, you know, everyone is worried, and that's fine. You're allowed to be worried. So, yeah, I'm worried too. You know, mm. I don't know what's gonna happen. But all I know is that uh this isn't, you know, when you when things are bad, and I've learned this from all the shit that, that has happened to me in the past year, is this is not the time to make rash decisions. No, this is the time to 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 be calm, cool, and collected as best as you can. Because you know, if shit goes down, your first thought is to be like, is to do an irrational thing, right? It's to spend a lot of money, or it's to mm. hoard a lot of things, or or whatever. It's it's natural. It happens. That's human nature. It's it's a survival mechanism. And the hardest thing to do is deny that mechanism. Is to say, mm. well. Okay, yes, things are bad, but I'm going to hold steady. And, you know, I, you know, I have had things happen. And so I know what that feeling is like. And I also know that I'm glad I didn't act on those instincts because here we are. This is, this is, yeah, this, is, a this thing. is what we were preparing for for it, the seven years of talking about the show. Because yeah. if you've been listening, there's two things we've talked about quite a bit. One, is an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. This, if say you lost your job, maybe you were a waiter, a waitress, or yeah, a bartender. This is and where that like, comes into play. You literally can't go to work. Well, right. now you get to use your emergency fund so that you don't have to sell your investments and take losses mm -hmm. and make decisions that you might not otherwise because you're in a crunch. Yes. And so you, you this is when you use your emergency fund. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is hopefully you've been building an opportunity fund mm -hmm. so that separate from the emergency fund where you know, things have crashed. I don't know. I'm kind of watching what's happening. Laura and I have ours and we talk, we've been talking about this a lot. There'll be a time and hopefully I'll tell you guys at least what we're doing where we decide that now things are a great deal. Maybe they'll fall further, but I love the deal that they're at mm -hmm. so that I will buy because this is when you make money. Yeah, Selling is how you lose money. I think I'll leave on two quotes because mm. these quotes, again, something we've been saying all these years and it just so happens to be the perfect time to say them. Mm. And one is the, the, the classic Warren Buffett quote, right? Be greedy when others are fearful and fear or, and, uh, and what was it? Fearful when others are greedy. <laughs> exactly. Right. 
And so now's the time to be greedy. Yes. <laughs> in, in this case. And two, riches are made in recessions. Mm. Right? This is, I mean, if you are, if you're calm and collect it and you're still investing, you're getting things at a fire maybe, sale. Maybe not yet, right? Because we were said mm. that in the last show episode where we're like, things are down for sure. Mm. Uh, but they're not 2008 levels. I think they're going down further. I mean, we shall see. We'll Who see. knows? I'm not betting on them going down further or whatever. It's just my thought. And you're we, not, we, not and you're not Nostradamus and neither was he. Right. And you know, we we just did this um franchise episode. And at yeah. the end of the episode, we talked about this brilliant guy who doesn't start franchises. He finds people who start them and fail and buys them for fire sell prices. How brilliant. He right. had the same business and he knows how to operate them. And he just gets them for a discount. And right. so the, the goal now is to wait for the discounts when everyone yeah. has lost their pants or they're mm-hmm. too afraid to do whatever. And I'll tell you, and I'll, I'll give you this too. I just, I feel, I, right now, personally, I feel like a guy who always invests at the wrong time. I just, I just, I just <laughs> feel that way. I, re, you know, it was the You may the, also be that guy. I but... may be that guy. That may just be my luck and that's fine. And that's like, okay, fine. There are times where I invest a lot and I think, ooh, now's the time. And then the next day we get hit with a pandemic. Okay. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. Uh, but on top of those moves that I make. True story, man. True story. A lot, like right true story. Uh, yeah, I decided like, let's buy Tesla shares at $800 or $900 a pop. And then the next day it's like 400 now or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, but that's fine. You know what I mean? Mm. Because one. For the last seven years since we started this podcast, <laughs> for the last seven years we started this podcast, those aren't the only investments I've ever made. I've mm. been slowly every month contributing, 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 contributing. And then when I have like a surplus of cash and I want to have a gamble basically with it, mm. you know, I just, uh, I'm not a good gambler. So, and, and who knows? It's just, again, I don't consider it like me not knowing. It's just bad luck in my part. And again, we're talking about like a hand, like literally a handful of times in my life. And yeah. I'm not, well, it's and only I'm not, a handful of times that actually could even have happened. Right. And I'm not sitting here going like, Oh fuck, pull it out. Uh, no, mm. I'm just like, oh, oh, well, like here, here we are. And you know, but again, I, you know, I might, it could go higher than it was before. And I hope yeah. it does. That's the point of growth, you know, growth, growth, growth all the time. That's what we do in the, in this world. So now it's just one of those times where, and we knew it, we all saw it coming. We all knew it was coming. We didn't expect it to kind of happen overnight, which was, which was, you know, and again, it could, re, it could rebound very quickly or it could last for a while. We don't know. Um, but again, none of us are soothsayers. None of us are uh, psychics. None of us know the future. And I just think right now, now is not a good time to pull out. Mm. I wouldn't say that in other situations, but when it comes <laughs> to investing, now is not the time to pull out. I'd so agree. we'll end on that. If you missed anything, by the way, first of all, before I get into that, thank you everyone for sending in your questions and please keep them coming so we can do both more anonymous episodes. and unknown. Yes. Seriously. <laughs> no, I mean, keep sending them in because we love doing these episodes. We do them every month. Uh, so if you missed anything in this episode, of course, we'll have everything in the show notes and you can either check your preferred podcast app or you can visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show. And please subscribe wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about us, point them to your favorite episodes, and hopefully they'll become a subscriber. And if you have any questions, like the ones in this episode or topics you want to discuss on future episodes, things are crazy right now. We're happy to be here. We're here to help. Email us, listedmoneymatters at gmail.com. And all the tools and resources that we normally mention on this show are always available at listedmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. 
That's it. Thanks again. Later, Andrew. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. Thank <laughs> you.